name is Dan Olson-Bang, and you are listening to Syracuse University GradCast. Today we're talking with Dr. Melissa Welshans. She is a uh, assistant director for the Center for Fellowship and Scholarship Advising and is also a holder of a PhD in English Literature from right here at Syracuse University. She's here to discuss the crucial NSF GRFP application. Welcome to GradCast. It's, it's great to have you with us today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to me. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. So we'll start with the basics. What exactly is the NSF GRFP? So the NSF GRFP um, is the National Science Foundation's Graduate Research Fellowship Program. It was designed to recruit promising students into STEM and social science fields and support them as they work towards their master's or PhD degrees. It is also interested in increasing the participation of underrepresented groups in STEM and social sciences, including women, minorities, persons with disabilities, and veterans. And so to do this, it provides three years of financial support for students pursuing research-based master's and PhD degrees in the STEM and social science disciplines. My understanding is that it's, it's pretty generous. Is that right? What is the financial support? It is quite generous. So students receive a $34,000 stipend each year for three years, in addition to a cost of education allowance of $12,000 to the degree-granting institution for each year the fellow uses their funds. So that's roughly $138,000 total, <laughs> a pretty sizable sum to support one's graduate studies. We'll be discussing a lot of the details about the award today, but where do students go if they want to read more about it? So students should visit the website nsfgrfp.org. Um, there they can find information, all the information they need that's necessary to complete the application, including the full program solicitation, which is a 17-page document from the National Science Foundation that offers a detailed overview of the grant applicant eligibility, the application requirements, deadlines, and a list of eligible fields. It's really, really important for students to read that document closely and reference it at every step of their application. So again, yeah. that's the nsfgrfp.org. I've taken a look at this, and it's definitely one of the more complex documents I've seen. And I suspect that they get enough applications that they're looking for people not to do things quite right as a way of making their choice of finalists a little simpler. Is that is that probably true? That is very true. Um, this particular award gets about uh, twelve to 14,000 applicants a year, I believe. Um, and so they really want to make sure that they don't spend their time on um, applications that are ineligible. Um, and so students really need to read the solicitation document closely to make sure that they are meeting the basic eligibility for this award before they apply. It's a lot more complicated than just make sure you write your name at the top of the page, huh? <laughs> that is an understatement, I think. Um, <laughs> so, and generally, the eligibility requirements are that stu um, applicants must be U.S. citizens, nationals, or permanent residents. They have to be pursuing a research-based master's or Ph.D. degree in STEM or social sciences, um, enrolled in an accredited U.S. institution by the fall after they receive the award, um, and either applying to or recently enrolled in graduate school. So just to get this right, the award is only open to applicants who are graduating seniors, recent grads, and first or second year grad students. Is that right? Yes, for the most part. So the NSF GRFP generally seeks applicants who are early in their career, which is to say those who have yet to attend graduate school and are applying, or those who have been recently admitted. 
So therefore, most applicants are seniors, recent graduates, first-year graduate students, or second-year graduate students. However, the NSF GRFP also has very specific rules regarding how much of one's graduate program a student can have completed at the time of application, as well as for students in combined BS and MS programs, and those who already have a master's degree but are returning for a PhD or other graduate degree. And so again, every student interested in applying for the NSF GRFP really needs to read the full award solicitation on nsfgrfp.org to make sure that they meet that eligibility. Okay, so you're saying STEM and social sciences. What uh, disciplines are covered under those two umbrellas? So that's a great question. The discipline eligibility is pretty specific for this grant. So again, I know this will sound like a broken record, but make sure you read the full solicitation because um, there they really do a pretty good job of providing a very detailed overview of the um, programs and uh, fields that students are eligible um, in. But generally, students are eligible if they are pursuing a research-based master's or PhD in the sciences, math, engineering, geosciences, social sciences, computer and IT sciences, psychology, and STEM education fields. Students in joint professional programs or who are enrolled in practice-oriented programs like an MD, JD, or NBA are not eligible, and students are often not eligible if their research is focused on public health, counseling, social work, or history, except the history of science. But again, the NSFGRP is very specific, so I would encourage any student to go and look at the solicitation for themselves to make sure that they are eligible. Um, but specific to this year's application, the NSFGRFP just announced that they will be emphasizing three high priority research areas in alignment with NSF goals. Um, these high priority areas are artificial intelligence, quantum information science, and computationally intensive research. Uh, so what that means is NSFGRFP is still encouraging applications from all disciplines supported by NSF, so all the ones I listed, um, and all the ones that you'll find in the solicitation, but they're particularly interested in applications from individuals whose research incorporates these high priority research areas. So if you are a student who is doing, you know, STEM and social science research, but it incorporates any of those three um, research areas, you really want to emphasize that this year in particular. Huh. Okay. So we've talked about this a little bit, but give me a sense of, of the competitiveness of this award, given how generous the funds are. Absolutely. Um, so this year, NSF uh, plans to award about 1,600 grants. Um, and as I already mentioned, they typically receive about um, twelve to 14,000 applications annually, um, sometimes even as much as up to 16,000. And since 2017, the application success rate has hovered around 15%. So that's why our office strongly encourages students to work closely with their advisors or students and applicants. Um, you're not always going to be a student when you apply, um, but to work closely with your advisor and with us to help you complete that application. What exactly does the application entail? So generally, the NSF GRFP reviewers are assessing applications based on two key criteria, the intellectual merit and broader impacts of an applicant and their research. The applicant's goal is to convey the intellectual merit and broader impact of their previous and proposed research throughout the application components, which include official transcripts, standard application questions about your education, work, honors and awards, etc., two written statements addressing your research, personal background, and your future goals, and three letters of recommendation. So can you tell a little bit more about what the phrases intellectual merit and broader impacts mean? Definitely. 
So intellectual merit means that the readers want to see the student's potential to advance knowledge within their, um, or within their applicant's chosen field and or across different fields. So this is demonstrated in a number of ways from your transcript. Um, they're definitely looking for um, applicants who have high GPAs. Um, they're looking at lists of awards and achievements um, to the way the applicants describe their research and their approach to scholarship in their essays. When it comes to broader impacts, that refers to an applicant's potential to benefit society or advance desired societal outcomes, both in how the applicant plans to impact society and in how their research will do that. So applicants can do this most effectively if they have a track record of being involved in initiatives that align with the mission of the award, specifically increasing the presence of underrepresented groups in STEM. However, they're also interested in students who want to make specific knowledge more, excuse me, scientific knowledge, specifically scientific knowledge, more accessible uh, to broader communities, increase scientific literacy, and increase collaboration between academia, industry, and others. But really, I want to stress that applicants need a feasible plan for how they will engage society in a meaningful way and ideally will already have been involved in organizations that do this and have a demonstrated track record of um, the types of communities that they want to engage. So as a fellow uh, English PhD, you might characterize both of these aspects, the, the broader impacts in the intellectual merit as contributing to or adding up to what we call the so what? Why do <laughs> I care? Why does this matter, right? I think that's a really great way of putting it. I mean, you know, with so many applicants and with the financial support so great, reviewers are really looking to know, like, you know, not only so, so what are you going to do, but so why should we fund you? You know, I think that that's a really, a really nice way of thinking about it. So take, tell me a little bit more about the written statements. So they're really a key part of the application and something students should spend or students and applicants should spend significant time preparing with their mentors and with CIFSA advisors. So the first one is officially called the Personal Relevant Background and Future, Goal, Future Goals Statement. And it will be three single-spaced pages and clearly should articulate your goals and your preparation for achieving those goals. Um, applicants should write about every relevant research experience as prepare them for their future research um, and help the reader get a sense of them as a scholar and a colleague. We have some general advice about writing personal statements on our own website, which is nationalscholarships.syr.edu. But one important piece of advice we offer applicants is to not discuss their early childhood. Applicants should focus on more recent experiences, ideally no earlier than undergrad. There are exceptions to this, of course, uh, but we really encourage applicants to be judicious in how much information they include about their childhood. In other words, an, another way maybe to think about this is, you know, somebody's applying for a medical program and they say, ever since I was five years old, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. And it's like, once you get enough of those people saying that, it starts to be just not that important. I mean, I thought I was going to be a hobo when I was five. It's really more <laughs> about what you've done to and accomplished. I'm, I'm pretty used to telling people that for a lot of these types of applications, your life begins in college. That's really true. And especially for this one, where as much as they are funding the person and not the project, I mean, they really are, it is an organization and a grant that's invested in you as an individual but at the same time, they're invested in you as an individual insofar as you have the capacity to make significant advances in science and social sciences. And so you need to tell them that story 
um, which can be a different story than the one about, you know, how you loved bird watching with your grandmother when you were seven and therefore you are now, you know, pursuing a PhD in ornithology. Like it's just, just a different kind of story to tell. <laughs> so yes, thank you for putting it that way. So what about the research statement? So the research statement is two single space pages um, that provides a detailed overview of the applicant's proposed research. So this will be read by STEM and social science experts, so it should be geared towards a learned reader, but one that might not know the specific jargon of your subfield. It should thoroughly explain the applicant's research plan and methods, and importantly, it should make really clear what the contributions of your research are to your field and beyond. And for both of these statements, when it comes to formatting them, applicants should remember that readers um, are reviewing a great number of these applications, and they need to be able to identify the application's intellectual merit and broader impacts really quickly. So because of this, it's totally okay in these to format your essays with headings and subheadings or put certain statements or phrases in bold so that they stand out. When reviewing both statements, readers will always be looking for those two criteria, the broader impacts and intellectual merit. So it's imperative that all applicants make it unmistakable what their qualifications are and how they meet this criteria. Who should students ask for help with these essays? So students really need to write these essays with the guidance of their faculty mentors, and we strongly encourage that they also consult our office. Faculty will help the applicant produce a research statement that demonstrates intellectual promise in their specific field, but our office can really help students with that document too, um, and more so in the flow of information and ideas. Uh, we're not subject experts, and so that's why consulting with your advisors and your mentors is paramount if you want to really make a strong case for why you should be given this award. Um, but we can also help students think strategically about what to share in their personal statement and how to structure that document. Students should start early, as each essay should go through multiple revisions before it is submitted. Um, and I really mean start early. Uh, we'll talk about the deadlines, I know, a little bit later, um, but they do come up in mid to late October, which sounds like it's a long ways away from now, but it really isn't, especially when you think about how, how many weeks it might take you to you know, coordinate meetings with your advisors and with us and share drafts. It can be a lengthy process. So it's really important to start early. And actually to help students with that writing process, we'll be holding a virtual um, NSF GRFP writing boot camp during the last two weeks of September. So students should keep an eye out on their emails for more information once we get it solidified or reach out to our office via email at CFSA, CFSA um, at syr.edu to sign up. So again, that's CFSA at syr.edu. I remember you also mentioned that students will need uh, letters of recommendation? That is correct. So all students need, or all applicants need to submit a minimum of two letters of recommendation, but three is strongly recommended. Uh, recommenders should be tenured or tenure track faculty in your field, or a faculty member who has supervised relevant research, who knows your academic background and professional goals, and the criteria of the NSF GRFP well enough to write compellingly about why you're a strong candidate for the NSF GRFP. To help recommenders write their letters, applicants should share with them the drafts of their application essays as well as the NSF GRFP selection criteria. So this is another good reason students should start working on these early um, in advance of the national deadline to make sure that they you know, have solid enough drafts to share with their recommenders before they're sitting down to write their letters. Yeah. 
What about the the deadline when you're starting early? What is early? <laughs> <laughs> so start early is probably start now. Start thinking about it now. Moving so, towards that, isn't it? <laughs> so the date of the deadlines varies depending on one's discipline, but they all are going to fall during the week of October 19th, 2020. Um, applications are due by 5 p.m. of the local time of the applicant's mailing address. Um, so you don't get till midnight. You have to submit that by 5 p.m. And there's absolutely no exceptions. And so you want to think ahead, too, to make sure that you're accounting for, you know, potentially thousands of other people submitting their applications at the same time, um, wanting to make sure there's no technical glitches, et cetera. So those are the application deadlines, but there's no penalty in applying earlier. Um, and recommendation letters aren't due until October 30th, 2020, and they're due at 4 p.m. Eastern time. How are you encouraging students to think about uh, the impact of COVID-19 on their research, I'd imagine it's affecting a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, and NSF is aware of that. I mean, I think the scientific social science communities have definitely had to uh, think about and adjust a lot of the ways in which they do the work, as have we all. Um, but however, you know, COVID-19 has also provided scientists with the opportunity to think creatively and collaboratively with, uh, collaboratively with others to devise new research plans despite these challenges. And if an applicant's previous research has been impacted by COVID-19, whenever possible, applicants should focus on why on what they have been able to accomplish rather than what they have not. Um, so really emphasizing that despite um, particular challenges or you know, roadblocks that COVID-19 has presented, that you've been able to overcome them or think creatively around them, which is a really important part of being a successful scientist or a social scientist, or really researcher in any field. But also yeah. the NSF GRFP is a forward-looking grant, and then it's about identifying students um, and applicants with the potential to be impactful researchers in the future. And so the research statement itself shouldn't have to say much about the impacts of COVID-19 as it will be focused on your future research plans. That is, unless you will be planning to do future research on COVID-19, which some individuals might be. And I'm sure that that um, has a lot of, uh, uh, they'll have a lot of interesting things to say about that. Um, are there any other points that you would like to, to make before we wrap up? So I know it's been said, <laughs> but again, just underscoring how important it is to start the process early. Um, the official uh, solicitation provides a great deal of information about eligibility and how to select one's field of study, and applicants need to read this carefully before starting their application. Um, and when it comes to the types of things that are required for eligibility, it's, it's what I listed, um, but it's also in things like formatting. You can be disqualified or counted in, ineligible if you do not correctly format the essays that you submit. And so you really, this is an application that needs a lot of attention to detail, which just takes time. Um, but again, we will be holding a virtual boot camp to help students towards the end of September in writing. Um, but there are, is no reason to wait that long unless uh, students, you know, have other things to do, which I know many do. Um, but it's always okay to also reach out to us before then to get started. Absolutely. Summer is a great time. <laughs> it is. So thank you, Melissa. This has been really helpful. We're going to follow up on this podcast with another one featuring current SU NSF GRFP recipients and a faculty reader for the award. So make sure you subscribe to our channel and listen when that's released. This has been Syracuse University GradCast. I'm Dan Olson-Bang. Thank you again to Melissa. 
Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you.